You're listening to the Yakima Chief Hops Podcast Network. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Bigger Than Beer, a podcast dedicated to highlighting the awesome women here in the hop and beer industry, explore solutions for creating positive changes, and discuss how we can all do our part in making this industry welcoming for everybody. I am absolutely stoked uh, for two guests joining me on the podcast today, Natalie Baldwin, Research and Development Brewer at Breakside Brewery, and Connie Kello, General Manager of Breakside Brewery. Thank you both for joining me on the show today. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for excited to chat. And could you both kind of say your name and your background a little bit so everyone knows who's talking from each side? Yeah, sure. Um, my voice, I'm Natalie, uh, research and development brewer at Breakside, like she mentioned. And I have been at Breakside for almost six years now. Before that, I had worked at a very close named brewery, but completely different spot. It was called Burnside Brewing. And um, it was kind of funny when I first started brewing in Portland, there was Whitney Burnside Brewing at Ten Barrel. And then Natalie, obviously me at Burnside Brewing. It was a little funny, uh, weird naming thing. But hi, this is me. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for coming on, Natalie. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, I am Connie Kello. Um, I'm the general manager at Breakside Brewery, uh, the Slabtown, uh, Northwest Portland location. Um, I've worked for Breakside for 11 years since it opened in 2010. Um, yeah, back in 2010, was looking for a job in Portland and met a guy that needed, that wanted to open a brewery and um, had never owned a brewery before and I was like, well, I'm a server and I have experience uh, in working in breweries. So, um, yeah, I've stayed with, with Breakside ever since. It's a, it's a great company. Um, and, uh, yeah, previous to that, I'd worked at the Pelican Pub uh, Brewery in Pacific City for five years. So um, I enjoyed that atmosphere um, and, um, yeah, that, that style of service. So i um, stuck with the brewery industry and I'm glad I have. That's awesome. Well, thanks again for, for both both of you joining uh, me on the show today. Um, let's start with education. Uh, the craft beer and brewing industry is a very niche type industry. Um, can you tell me about your education or any training programs that you experienced leading up to your careers? So uh, I started studying biochem in college. I thought that I wanted to be a vet and couple years in, decided it wasn't really what I wanted to do and stopped going to school. So I never actually got my bachelor's degree, but I studied biochem for a bit. And after that, I had worked a bunch of service industry jobs. I actually valet parked cars for a long time. And well, that was like my, my college job. But anyway, I got into the industry uh, as a bartender and I was learning from a brewer who had a bunch of education. So I sort of learned all my basic information from other people who had uh, more, I don't know, set, set uh, education paths. And I was a little bit intimidated initially that I didn't really have that same access point, but I was able to get into the industry sort of um, with the help of a lot of people, even though I hadn't had that experience. But now that I'm in the industry, I realize that there's so much access to further education through all sorts of resources, through the Brewers Association, the um, 
American Society of Brewing Chemists, and you can take like little classes here and there, and that's sort of like how I have um, learned a lot of, you know, my science-based portion of my job and things like that, whether it's sensory or literally calculating math things or whatever, but um, so my education is a little bit more like quirky and all over the place, but it's, it's been sort of stitched together through different access points after being in my job. Nice. Yeah, I am. Um, mine is just uh, from experience. I didn't ever um, take any business classes or anything like that. Mine's just been um, working in the industry for as long as I have. You, you kind of make your own path where where you want to take it. Where where you want it to take you. Um, and so, yeah, mine's, it's all experience based, but, um, I have contemplated, you know, further, um, education just to, um, you know, to not feel like being a general manager is the last stop in this industry. You know, there's, there's lots of opportunities and, and furthering educating myself is, is the best way to, um, kind of expand my opportunities. So. Right on. Thank you. Uh, Natalie, you know, you, you went in where you were pursuing biochem and then you were talking about how, you know, you have a very science focused career. What, what inspired you to pursue this science focused career? What drew you to that? Um, well, it's a little bit skewed. So my interest has always been a little bit more art. Like, I don't know. I just like, I operate a lot on like feel and which is not exactly the, surefire uh, scientific calculated method. Um, so it's been something that I've learned along the way. It's something that I've found really interesting. I've, I've definitely gravitated more towards biology than chemistry. Um, and so, it's, I mean, I've heard a lot of people say this, but it, it sort of happened in a really nice way because there's this beautiful marriage in beer uh, between creativity and science. And so for me, it, it happened as I went and because I needed to be able to, um, you know, beer related, but you know, before this, it was more because I wanted to be a vet and that was obviously incorporated in, in science, but um, or based in science. But as far as beer goes, it, it sort of happened for me along the way. Um, and I think that once I realized that there's so many ways to, um, like if I figure out how to do a calculation for something and I just build a calculator for it, then I don't ever have to do the math again. And uh, so I think it's been interesting learning like fundamental knowledge and then creating ways for me to enjoy the math. Like I've been building a dilution calculator uh, recently, which sounds super lame, but I'm so excited about. <laughs> um, it's uh, sort of started because last year I was making a Belgian beer that I wanted to add pear juice to. And, you know, the, the math sciencey part of it is how much pear juice should I add to get this sort of, you know, this level of alcohol and, or if I add 30 gallons, how much is the alcohol going to increase? And so, um, then I built a, a calculator for that. And then sometimes we add, uh, like deaerated water to certain beers so that we can, you know, high gravity brew and then adjust the flavor profile by adding water. So then you have to, whatever boring stuff but i think that it's it's been really fun for me to find ways that work for me um and create systems that make sense for someone who's like i am science-based but it's not like the most natural thing for me so i like to um 
yeah, like I said, three times already. I like to, to find ways to make it all work, even though that's not like my natural uh, leaning direction. You know, you saying that it reminds me, I had uh, Alexa Weathers from Sodbuster Farm. So she's a hop farmer and she was on uh, last week and we talked about very similarly like farming and brewing is, is similar in two ways that it's like, it's part science, part art. Like there is this yep. beautiful balance between, you know, you could have all the technical parts down, but then also there's this craft to it, you know, play on words, but like, yeah, there is a craft yeah. to it. Absolutely. Um, so it's just very interesting to hear f- from that perspective as well, from, from hop, a hop farmer saying the same thing and then also a brewer saying the same thing as well. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. You know, Connie, uh, based on your background that you, you walked us through, it sounds like you, you worked your way up into a management role in beer in the hospitality industry. Was business management something you, you always had a passion for, or did you or did your passion for this particular industry kind of lead you into that role? I would say it was definitely the passion for the industry, absolutely. Um, you know, like I said, I had been a server, bartender, pretty much every role when I was at the Pelican. I really enjoyed um, that style of service, um, you know, and so when I found that job at Breakside, um, it was, it was pretty cool because, um, you know, again, Scott had never owned a brewery before, um, and he was really excited about it and it was an opportunity to kind of create our own work environment. Um, and so, um, yeah, we kind of took off with that and and enjoyed being able to kind of make our own way in a, a brewery, you know, a restaurant, um, and kind of, um, do what we wanted to do um, as employees Um, and just, you know, of course that makes you love your job because you get to kind of make your own way. Um, And it just went from there. I, you know, you you take initiative, you take um, ownership in that environment. And um, yeah, so it naturally just fit to become a manager and um, yeah, and eventually become general manager and, and kind of to, yeah take me on this path. And, and like I said, there's, I know there's more opportunities if I wanted them. And so that's really cool to be part of a company that, um, that wants you to strive for more. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I love you. Always... Another thing. Okay. No, go ahead. I was just going to, you know, I was just going to say when you find a company that, that inspires and encourages growth and, you know, moving forward, moving upward, finding something that works for you. It's always a great find, right? It always makes you feel like there's tons of potential for wherever, you know, life takes you, where your career takes you. So that's always great to hear. Natalie, what were you going to say? I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, no, I interrupted you first. (laughs) Um, I was just going to say it's been really cool outside looking in on Kanye's career because when I started at Breakside, we hadn't opened the we just had the one location plus our production brewery. So she started at our original Deacon pub and then helped open our Northwest location, which is higher volume, um, completely different atmosphere. So, you know, like she said, kind of creating a, a place in Breakside, but also, you know, adapting and growing with the company. Yeah. So what was that like opening a second location kind of branching off there? It was, it was interesting. So the, the original location is a small little neighborhood pub, um, you know, and it's, it's all families and it's regulars, like 100% regulars. Um, and that was really fun to be a part of because everyone just felt like family as customers. Um, to coming to a big, you know, location, um, high volume, you know, it's in, it's in Northwest Portland and um, 95% tourism, really. So um, it was different, but it was it was just a different environment. I like being challenged. So that was, it's, 
just, it's fun. It's a different, you want to also bring that like family, um, I don't know, like break site is like home environment. Yeah, you want to bring that same vibe. We talk about our culture a lot um, and with Breakside and we try and set ourselves apart with our culture. And so bringing that to a large environment with new employees and a new environment and um, new customers was a bit difficult, but I think we did a pretty good job. And, you know, four years in, of course, it's, it's, um, it's here. You know, it's like you want everyone to walk into a Breakside location and feel that same vibe whether it's, you know, a different environment or not, you want them to still feel that same feeling that like, you're welcome here, we're happy you're here, relax, take a seat, drink a beer, enjoy yourself. Yeah, so. it's, it sounds like, you know, when you're trying to bring that same culture that you started with in a new environment, new group of people, but it's like, if it's your, your core, your values, kind of your entire foundation, it carries Mm -hmm. over pretty in, in certain ways, pretty easily because it's very natural for all your employees to exude that. So that's really cool. Cool to learn a little bit more about. Um, so working your, your way into a leadership role, was there anyone in particular that mentored you or inspired you? Um, not really. I mean, there's always like, in any position, you always kind of look back to pre maybe previous managers or previous people that um, you worked um, for that you always liked the way they ran things and like the way they did things. And you kind of go off of those, like, how did I like being treated? Or, you know, if I was a manager, how would I treat people? Um, what's going to make what's going to give me an incentive to work harder, stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think that's, there wasn't anyone necessarily within the company, um, I would say that mentored me, but I just kind of went with my own gut feeling and, um, and it seems to work. That's great. <laughs> Sometimes you also learn what you like, don't want to do from past experiences. Yeah, You're like, absolutely. that's a, like, a yes. good guiding compass as well. So I, I understand yeah. how that goes. Yeah. Um, Natalie, we know becoming a brewer often involves being mentored by other veterans in the industry, and you talked a little bit about that learning from a, a brewer. Um, were there any key people or teams that helped provide guidance in your career? So this is kind of wild. Like the way that my career started was I was bartending at this little brewery, and there were people that would come in and hang out with the brewer there all the time. So I sort of got to know them. And uh, this one man, his name's Dave Fleming, he's been in the industry for a very long time. And he knew that I was interested in pursuing brewing and it wasn't really going to happen where I was. And uh, he knew of a job opening up at Burnside and he wasn't really certain if it was just like washing kegs or brewing or whatever it was, knew that I had little to no experience. And he just kind of put the bug in their ear. And when, they were hiring uh, one of the brewers named Sam Pecorero. He's now the um, like head brewer at uh, Bon Ebert and now one of my closest friends. But he heard that I wanted a job, came in and chatted with me. And so it was like Dave Fleming definitely helped me in the industry. And like he and I brewed a beer together for this competition in Portland that used to happen called the Pro-Am. You'd have a pro brewer paired with an amateur brewer. I was the amateur brewer. He and I brewed together. We made this coffee stout and um, we won the competition, which was really cool. And then like my brewing career started and he introduced me to a lot of people. And then um, my best friend, Sam, uh, also was incredible because everywhere he went, he would like bring me to go grab a beer with someone or we'd go to 
he was going to take some like ASBC class and he would take me to it and all that sort of stuff. So he definitely was like my access point to people. And he also was really good about um, giving me the like time and space to be an individual and not just like someone that he brought around. And I think that that definitely shaped the way that a lot of like men treated me in the industry because there was just no room for bullshit and there was no room for someone to like treat me with disrespect or treat me like I didn't belong. So I think that the way that he sort of set the tone there definitely gave me a lot of access. And he has been one of my biggest mentors in brewing because he's extremely intelligent and very good at all of the like science-based stuff when I'm a little bit more of the witchy thing. So he and I um, definitely balance, balance one another out in that way. But that's sort of like my direct people. And then, you know, obviously there were so many more other people, but I always had the biggest beer crush on Tanya Cornette. I remember Connie and I were talking about this earlier. I had had one of her like kettle sour beers and, you know, she was like one of the pioneers in, I would say modern times to like bring back uh, any sort of like quick sour beer that isn't like barrel aged mixed culture or things like that. And I was always so interested in that. And I remember the first time that I met her at a, it was that when 10 barrel Portland opened and Whitney was like, Oh my God, like Tanya, you're doing a meter. And I was like, Oh no, no. And I was like, Hey, like, I love your beer German sparkle party. This is so cool. And I just was nerding out <laughs> and come like, you know, years and years later, her and I are close friends and she is my roommate when we judge at GABF and her and I and Megan Parisi from, um, Boston beer are all going to speak at a conference together in a couple of months. So it's like, She's been um, definitely integral to my competitiveness in the industry and also has been such an intense ally and support. Um, so she's she's a big one. That was a, a long answer, but hopefully no, that, that uh, was relevant. Fantastic. Yeah, no, it's so it's always so interesting to hear um, kind of people's journey and who inspired them and like the you know you talked about like the balance of like um bringing you everywhere but also giving you space to be your own person and kind of establish yourself within the industry I thought that was really fascinating it's like it's quite the balance of like making sure that there's always a place for you but it's you know you're on your own terms and you're establishing your own um space that's really interesting and then to hear kind of the journey of like you know meeting someone you looked up to and then all now they're they're a companion in your of yours mm -hmm. in this industry. It's really cool to kind of hear that whole journey about that's really cool. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is about access. And this is something that has been going on a lot with the craft beer reckoning recently. Um, because there's so many people who have access, whether that's like old boys club access or um, something like Tanya, who is extremely well connected and wants to have other people involved and stuff. So it's like you have a platform and when you have the ability to give people space for that, um, you know, knowing that you have that, but also being okay with sharing that is a, is a big thing. And I think someone like Tanya, who has been in the industry for a long time and fought for her space in a way that I will never have to, because I just was, I wasn't there. And, you know, she's a pioneer in a way that I won't understand because, you know, she's been dealing with it for a lot longer. So the, the fact that she is like supportive in the way that she is and um, you know I think it would be really easy to have like an ego and not be able to give people that space because you fucking earned it you know and it, it shows uh, strength and someone's character when they you know give you that access and like I said briefly 
that's a, a big thing that's been going on in the industry right now with minorities and um, when people, you know, sort of uh, gatekeep that space and don't allow other people to exist and, you know, give people access to be great, then, you know, how are we going to ever get anywhere? Well, I was just going to say that, you know, there's been this theme that uh, I, I keep noticing in the episodes that we have. We're on episode nine at this point and Bigger Than Beer. And one theme that consistently comes up all the time is talking about how um, the women that we've had on have talked about, like, there was someone ahead of me who who built the stairs for me to climb up on. And yep. now it's my turn to to turn around and make sure that, that this continues on and that I am also helping someone else climb this journey, climb this mountain and, and make it. So it's, it's pay it forward, essentially kind of like, yeah. it's like, how can I now make that impact on someone else? I know I, I received that help. I received that access. What can I yeah. do now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we so Natalie and I were talking about it earlier, and I, I said, you know, I'm not a brewer, but I I brought up Tanya as well because, um, you know, just being in this industry for so long, and I remember when she worked at Ben Brewing, and I was obsessed with Ching Ching, and like, yeah, we I, the first time I ever got to go to GABF, you know, I was like, we were right next to um, Ben Brewing. I think I drank a pitcher of Ching Ching while I was working, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and you know, you see her at. at um, at festivals or you see her in in the industry at, at certain events and she's just so approachable and that's I think that's what makes her not I don't know not a leader I mean she is a leader but like makes she's paved the way and she knows to like turn around and like say like I'm bringing everyone else along you know and that's mm-hmm. kind of the point of of any of us in this industry is like we have to remember that like if we want to stand out and pave that way, you know, you turn around and then you like remind everybody like, come on, let's go. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to continue this path, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. She's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So Natalie, you know, you, you started this, you started pursuing this career in brewing right around the time that the craft beer industry really started taking off. And um, back then, and we mentioned a little bit, things were pr- a little different. And I imagine seeing other women brewers was less common um did you think it was a little more challenging to find anyone to provide you with that mentor mentorship uh because you're a woman i know you mentioned that you had two great mentor you know two to three great mentors and leaders that um helped you but do you think it was a little bit more challenging to find that mentorship i i think the portland industry is the beer industry is, is pretty cool there's a lot of collaborative um effort i i think it's like obviously across the board beer industry thing but there's a lot less gatekeeping than i hear from from some of my friends but when i started there whether this was locally or nationally internationally there just weren't that many female brewers around especially visibly um and we all kind of knew each other which was pretty cool so you'd be like oh you're going to this town like i know that there's a lady brewer there and it was pretty cool to be able to sort of identify ourselves because there just weren't that many people around. And I think that because there weren't as many people around, there was like a different kind of, obviously we all have kinship because we all know what's going on. And, you know, we only know how it's like, no one else would understand what it's like in all of our lives because you know what I'm saying? Like we just know. And I think that that kinship before, there was even more volume of people was a little bit louder because we all um, 
sort of needed each other in a different way. Um, not that we don't now, but I, I think that it was, it was just different. Um, and I think that the ability to find mentors was also a little bit different because you didn't really have people that had been in the industry for as long. Like we were all kind of sort of figuring it out together. Um, obviously there's some female pioneers around doing all that, but it was kind of cool where, hey, have you heard of this hop? Um, have you done this thing? Or how do you build a water calculator? Um, we would do that sort of stuff together. So it's been interesting because I've had, I did a thing where I, whenever I would travel, I would see if I could find a lady brew and brew with them. And um, I kind of went all over the country and have at this point done that all over the world. But um, it, yeah, it was, it was sort of like graduating class type stuff. Like we were all in the same place figuring it out. And um, so we were like each other's mentors without the experience. I don't know. No, that's Trial really, that's really yeah, that's really interesting. I guess I hadn't really thought about that um, from that perspective of everyone was kind of learning together and kind yeah. of forging the way ahead at the same time. Uh, so it's a different dynamic at that time than it might be now where you have you know, people who have tons of experience. And I also really like that point that you said, like, whenever you travel, you always make a point to see if you can have, like, a brew day collab. That's awesome. That's mm -hmm. really cool. Yeah. I'm sure you've had, like, the coolest trips because of that, and it's, like, led you to explore yeah. some really cool places as well. That's awesome. Yeah, I've been in Alaska, Berlin, all over the place. Pretty nice. Cool. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. A lot of feedback that we've gotten you know on the podcast from from other guests is that they feel like they have imposter syndrome like they don't belong here is this something that either of you have experienced yourself or do you feel like you've had to work extra hard to prove yourself in this industry yeah I mean looking back I, I was like at first I was like no not really but you know when I really think about it there was definitely um I think that imposter syndrome comes from when you have someone above you that is maybe intentionally making you feel like you don't need to be there or maybe they're threatened by by your existence, whatever it is. But, yeah, and then, you know, in my situation, um, I didn't have to work with that person anymore, and so that, that went away. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the – nobody should ever feel like they're um, – they shouldn't be there. Their their strengths are dampened by someone else that feels threatened. Um, and I think that's where that imposter syndrome comes from, potentially. At least that's where mine came from. Um, and so in my experience, not having to work under people that do that is, um, <laughs> is when that goes away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, it's natural for insecurities to come up and then to have someone kind of validate like your worst thoughts or whatever your doubts or whatever is kind of what leads to that I feel like mm -hmm. um so when yeah you I mean it's it, I was sorry I was just, it was it's hard to be obviously we all know it's hard to be a woman in a leadership role mm -hmm. um there's always going to be people that are threatened by that um most of the time people are most are, are very accepting and it doesn't matter but they're you're gonna run into those people that it does bother them um and you come up with weird scenarios that get involved and it's just you know, you have to navigate that each scenario differently. So, um, so Connie, yeah. ha have you experienced pushback as a, as a, a woman in leadership? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Um, 
it's just the world we live in. Um, so how do you, and, how do you handle those kinds of situations? Um, like I said, I feel like you handle them differently based on the situation and the person, um, whether it's an employee or someone that's, you know, up higher up above you, um, with dignity and respect and, um, you know, I know where I stand. I know I'm, you know, I know my position and, um, I think that's what you have to hold on to. It's just like, I know what I'm doing. Um, you know, like what I'm saying is correct. And whether you like that or not, that's not my problem. So that's how it goes. Yeah. And if you leave them no other way, you know, then this is what, this is what I'm saying and this is how it goes. And, you know, then it becomes their problem. Yeah. Yeah. The hard part about that is it's so much like you have to take that bold role and sometimes you're sacrificing yourself to a degree and it's going to fucking suck and it might be really hard and sometimes there's no way to like completely win out of the situation but like yeah. Connie said then you sort of like remove the imposter situation from or the imposter feelings from that situation because she knows what's up and hopefully you have the team around you to support you and navigate that but it's hard. Yeah, I mean, and you can't have, you, you have to have thick skin and you, you know, because if you don't, then you, you'll let that imposter syndrome take over. But I mean, you have to just own your position and own what you are doing. And, you know, I'm doing the right thing. I'm, I'm running this business as I'm supposed to be. And again, whether that person likes it or not is not my problem. Right. Mm-hmm. As a general manager of the brewery, you've had a lot of interaction with the public, I imagine. Have you experienced or witnessed any mistreatment against women? And if so, how did you work to overcome or resolve those moments? Um, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, we do, you know, customer-based uh, industry. Um, and again, it's it's holding your ground. It's, I mean, strength is such a big part of of a, posi- a leadership position or, um, or any position really, um, is just, um, you know, again, we're in the right and whatever, you know, we're saying is, is correct and we're doing the best we can and we're, we're doing everything, um, to the, to the T. So, um, yeah, there's no, I would say there's, there's probably no politically correct way to deal with things depending on the situation. Right. We also work for a company that is really supportive of like if we if we have some sort of um, subcontracting company or if we have you know some other company that we're working with and they disrespect us or there's some weird thing around gender based bias or any any sort of thing like that like we're not going to work with them and um, if that if there's some sort of like mistreatment that happens between a customer and the bartender or whomever it may be like sorry, that's just yeah. not going to happen. And they will support us completely, you know, whether that's Connie or the other owners of the company or whatever. Um, I said the other owners because we're employee owned. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I, I think like what Connie's totally like support what Connie's saying where we, you do your job, you do it with grace and kindness, but like if someone's going to be a jerk or they can't hang, then you don't get to work with us. Sorry. Like if, if you're going to be yeah. rude to a bartender, then you like 
bye, sorry. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, it's like there's zero tolerance to anyone being disrespectful. And that's the nice thing is, yes, we are super supported in that. And um, we know when someone's crossed the line, it's pretty obvious. And um, we don't stand for that. And it's great, yeah. you know. We, I've never felt like that's, that's not okay in this um, working for Breakside. So it's, it's a very safe, very supported industry or um, environment. And I think that's, that's key. And, you know, knowing that your company, your, your manager, your leadership, your owners all have your back and your best interests at heart. Like talking about Mm -hmm. like, if there's someone who is not playing square, they're not going to be playing in this ball game at all. Like this is, this is a no tolerance zone. And it's like having that clear support you know, I think of as an employee having that, I know that like my manager, my leadership has my back. You talked about like being confident in, in where you're at. That's what leads to that. It means that you can stand yep. your ground. You know that your, your team, you've got this solid unified situation and that creates the healthy work environment that we're all really trying to strive to, to be in, to work towards. I think this is a perfect example for all those listening of like, making sure that, you know, anyone that's in management positions, anyone that's in leadership, owners, it's no, it's like having your employees back there. It's going to create, you know, longevity. People are going to want to work there longer. They're going to be more invested in the company. It's all of yep. these things are important to that, that positive work environment that, that we're, that we're trying to build all over so that we have a, a better industry tomorrow. Right. So I, I love that Absolutely. example. Those are great, great yeah. things to bring up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think anyone that's ever, worked for us that not uh, followed that um, rule and has stuck out like a sore thumb and mm-hmm. it's kind of dealt with itself. So um, thankfully. So. Awesome. Mm-hmm. so both of you have been in the industry for a, a long time at this point and would be considered veterans in the craft beer community. What has kept you motivated through all of the challenges? Um, well, um, I would say the beer industry is fun. I mean, that's a simple way to put it, but there's always challenges that, that come. But at the end of the day, like what we're doing is, at least on my end, what we're doing is, is pretty simplistic. We're, we want to, people to come in the door and um, have the best craft beer they can be drinking that day or that week and enjoy themselves and relax and feel at home you know that's always kind of been our goal is to um be the best part of somebody's day um and that includes like the standards we set on everything we do we set obviously like you know the brewers set a standard on on our beers they they do an amazing job and we try and set that same standard with like our level of service and and all of that and um yeah um i feel like that's that's kind of our goal at the end of the day yeah, I think, like, for my motivation, that was the question, right? How to stay motivated? Yes, yep. Um, I, I think that for on my end, it's mostly, like, creativity-based. And I have found that I need to be okay with, like, the ebbs and flows of what that looks like. Um, especially after last year, my job sort of, like, ceased to exist because we weren't really doing R&D. We were making beer and at the production brewery and I was doing some stuff here and there, but mostly just plugging in at the production brewery. And, um, that didn't really like leave me much mental space to 
be creative and then we would like open up and I could brew a little bit then we would close again and it was just like this weird thing where I like if it's, it's uh, another version of it is like when it's a little bit slow and I feel like I'm so much less efficient because I have so much time to do things and then when it's busy then I'm like so efficient and I get so much shit done and I'm like on it and um I, I feel like that my creativity zone has that same ebb and flow. And I used to be really hard on myself um, to stay motivated and productive. And it feels weird when it feels like you're not like enough. And ways that I've just stayed motivated is being able to give myself, give myself that time and space to like not be awesome all the time or like, you know, it's, it's okay. And there's not anything wrong with me if I can't just like nail it all the time. And, um, so when I'm in those down times, I've definitely given myself the time and space to either learn something or go back and perfect something or just kind of nerd out on things that I haven't had time to focus on. And whether that be like take a class or sit down and talk to other people or maybe just drink other people's beer a little bit more or whatever. So I think um, staying motivated is definitely something that's hard and Sometimes I just need to uh, not be motivated and that gives me, um, I don't know, that's a, kind of a terrible answer to say not to be motivated, but uh, I don't know. This last year I, I got back involved with like, the Pink Boot Society and that definitely made me feel motivated because I hadn't really, um, I'm co-chapter lead with this woman um, named Caitlin who's the distiller at uh, Clear Creek Distilling and I just like, I wanted to be involved and, and help people with access to education and things like that. But I hadn't really considered the side of it where like, if someone loses their job, like, what do you do? How do you help? And we're trying to start an event. How do you help? Like, there's all these things that I hadn't really like, I thought it would just be like, let's, let's plan these things and let's hang out and I'll help people write scholarship letters and whatever. And now that I sort of like, remember what it feels like to be like floating out in the world and needing help with things, um, that's definitely helped me like focus on my career in different ways that I sort of forgot about because it was like a refocusing um, zone. So I don't know. That's like a long rambly answer with nothing completely direct, but uh, hopefully that's no se several good points in there. It's like you have to have some, sometimes you have to like give yourself the freedom to explore creatively, which if you're going, going, going and you're busy and you're checking off everything on the to-do list, doesn't always leave time for that. You have to let yep. your, your mind have that creative freedom. And then I, I really appreciate you bringing up the Pink Boots Society and all that is possible through helping, you know, women in the industry and like, but also encountering situations that you're like, I didn't know I would be working on this side of things, but it's really important. Yeah. That's, re that's really interesting to learn a little bit more about. Uh, this question is for, for each of you. What do you each find to be the most rewarding aspect of this industry? Um, gosh. I mean, for me, it's the people. Um, I mean, there's more to it, but, you know, the people, like my employees, the customers, um, it's, you know, like I said, it's, we want to be that bright spot in their day. Um, and I also want to make sure that, people have a job that they enjoy to come to, you know, um, you want people to not be like, Oh my God, I have to go to work today. <laughs> you want, you know, which is going to happen no matter what, Yeah. but less so than maybe another job. Um, so, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess just seeing people enjoy their job and there's so much longevity within our company. Um, 
so many people have worked for the company for six plus years. It's kind of unheard of in this industry, um, which obviously is a good sign. And um, so we, we really try hard to continue that um, as we grow. Um, and it helps to have a lot of people that have been here for 10 plus years, you know, mm-hmm. to kind of remind people of like, this is a good job. Like, you know, it's a good job in this industry and to, um, there's, there's so many avenues to go down and um, that's also pretty cool in this industry. You know, you don't have to just be a server or a bartender. Or, you know, we have employees that work at the restaurant that want to um, try, you know, their hand at like working in the brewery and they, you know, you start maybe at keg washing, but you get to work your way up and learn about it. And it's just, it's really cool to see that like, you know, there's so many, um, different opportunities within this industry um, to to have people be able to take an opportunity and try out. Mm-hmm. I think that I have like a couple different answers for this, obviously, because I just like to ramble a little bit. But um, I have found kind of like I told you about earlier. So, you know, I stopped going to school and it felt a little bit like, well, I didn't get my bachelor's it's like kind of lame I should have done that I should have finished that and I think that I just didn't know that brewing would give me access to education and obviously it's not a the same sort of certificate but I mean there are some here and there but I think that I didn't really know I could learn so much and have so much access to education um, and also the community-based part of Brewing has been really incredible. Like I mentioned earlier, being able to travel and just sort of have allies all over the place has been something that really has altered my existence. Um, and not necessarily just beer-based, but the community that I have in distilling or farming or flowers or just whatever it is. I've met so many people in so many different ways that I just have like this huge network of Um, really talented people, really talented, intelligent people. And that's just something that I never knew existed and didn't know that I would have, but I feel so lucky to have met so many incredible people. So kind of like what what Connie said, just a a slight spin on it. Those are both great answers. You know, Connie, as a a manager, you have an amazing opportunity to, to set the tone for a workplace. How do you create a more equitable workplace for women? Is there anything in particular that you do to create a, a safe and welcoming work environment for your team? Um, like I said, I mean, all of the, you know, experiences I've had in this industry, you know, you kind of take from all of those experiences and you take the things that you liked um, and, um, and try and put them into how I treat employees and how I run things. Um, and how I also, you know, knowing how the owner um, wants um, his, you know, would like his brewery to be ran. Um, but I would say communication is key for me. Um, you know, I, I absolutely um, tell the employees, like, my door is always open. Um, anything you have a problem with, you know, I'm, I, I don't know. I think it's smart to just stay on their level to a certain extent. Like just because I'm the general manager does not mean I'm above them or more important, you know, like everyone's role here is important and they, we, we all work together to, um, to make this all work, you know, and without them, we don't have this. And without me, we don't have this, but it's just, you know, it's a team, 
team environment. Um, and I think that's really important. I, there's the hierarchy is what I don't think works. It's pretty archaic in the restaurant industry. Um, and so we try and kind of level that a bit here. Um, and I think it helps, you know, knowing that people can come to me if they have um, issues or problems, um, it helps resolve any any long-term problems that could happen is that they know that they can come and talk about it. And, um, and you know, just women, and especially like, um, you know, opportunities, things they want to talk about, whatever it is, it's not a stupid question. It's just, you know, let's talk about it. So communication is so key to that. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Also, like outside looking into, um, you know, Connie's realm, it, there's a lot of women in management at Breakside and in, at Slabtown specifically. And it, it seems like really refreshing to be able to hire people for certain positions because they're the best person for the job and to have the access because they are, or they happen to be female but they're the best person for the job and to be able to have the space to exist and be that person for the job and not have to worry about um, what you look like or, you know, what you're presenting gender is or whatever it is that that seems to be like kind of what Connie was saying. It's not necessarily about just empowering women, but it's just the best person for the job. And in this particular time in our company, that's a lot of women and it's really cool to have them have that access and support each other and, um, I just have sort of noticed that over the last couple of years, because there have been a lot of men in those position uh, in those roles. And it's sort of just as people have left, the next person who is best for the job is a woman. And that's really cool. That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's so key to just, it's something that doesn't always happen. And it obviously it, that's something I wanted to change was the person that's best fit for the job should get the job. It shouldn't, you shouldn't be overlooked because of your gender and, Obviously, that happens in our industry, and it's really frustrating. So it was an opportunity for me to be able to open that up and say, like, no, it's about who's right for this job, and I want to give that opportunity to whoever, whether it was mm-hmm. a male or a female or whoever it is. You know, it's, it's more, more about offering the opportunity to people that deserve it and, and are there. So, And I think, uh, you know, you're talking about how communication is so important and having, uh, a, like you said, uh, a great example of um, a location that has a lot of women in management positions that does communicate something to all your employees. It says, you mm-hmm. know, there's pot- there's potential for anyone who who you said is like is the best for, fit for this. We're going to make sure that there's opportunities for you, that there's potential for you. If you communicate that test, it does send a very great you know a great message to all of you, all of the employees at Breakside that there's tons of opportunity, tons of potential. So I, I like to hear about like the it, that increased visibility helps, you know, kind of spread that message that you're working on, which is fantastic. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Natalie, you have such a, an incredible background in brewing and are someone we would consider to be a great role model for others. What are some ways that you have gotten involved to help encourage or inspire other women in beer? Um, that's very nice of you to say, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's kind of interesting because it's been a, a combination of things that I have thought out and um, people sort of like existing in the same place as me with, with places that they kind of would like want someone to help with. Um, I obviously put my hat in the ring for the Pink Boots uh, chapter leader. Um, that's been a big one. I had been hesitant to get involved with Pink Boots for a while. 
Um, not because there is anything wrong with it, but our industry, like I, in Portland specifically is what I mean, um, didn't really feel like I needed the Think Food Society the way that I think some other people across the country and world needed the access point. Um, and then in 2018, I got a scholarship to study beer in Germany, which like sort of changed my life. And then I was like, oh, I get it. Uh, so that's something that I want to have, you know, help people with. And it's sucks writing scholarship papers, sort of like a cover letter. You know, there's things like that. So that's something that before I was a chapter leader, I was a um, scholarship liaison. And then I've worked with companies like Girls Inc. Um, to help with girls in STEM. I uh, talked with this traveling group a couple years ago. It was a group of women coming from Japan and what I had talked to them about, their university students, was sort of the different sort of work culture that women can be involved in, in or sort of like my experience. And that was pretty special. But uh, yeah, kind of dabbled here and there. Uh, there's this all-female um, national homebrew competition called She Brew, and the winner of the competition uh, gets to brew a beer at Breakside with me, so that's really cool, gets cool. to kind of be interactive with the homebrew community. These are all more like women-based things, um, not necessarily like BIPOC or, or, you know, anything focused like that, but have been working with the Oregon Brewers Guild diversity and equity team to help uh, create a um, internship program and then we will also be hosting people at breakside through that um so yeah a little bit all over the place i'm sure there's other ones that are important to me that i can't think of right this second but it's been pretty cool to be able to have access and be involved with so many different groups yeah those all are fantastic groups to 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 share and get involved with so those are and, and you know, diverse in their different ways of, you know, there's events and co a competition. And then also there's the education component, an internship program, all, you know, kind of spread out in really cool, interesting ways. Uh, mm -hmm. What advice or, or words of encouragement would you both give women pursuing a career in beer? Connie and I were like chatting about this before. And it's, it's just so different from both when we started and I just, I think it's harder for anyone to get involved in the industry now, right? Like there's more people applying and, and there's a lot going on. So I think that, Connie, do you have any like off the cuff information or any, anything good that you got? I mean, words of encouragement, you know, I would say if that's what your passion is, like, and again, maybe we're spoiled by Portland beer industry, but I don't know any other, you know other realms of that but like you know go for what you want like there shouldn't any be be any limits on what you want you know if you have the passion for it um and you prove yourself and i mean that's how we do it at breakside if you have the passion mm -hmm. for it and you prove yourself and um and you're dedicated to it and we feel that you're deserving you know when you you're a good employee etc like um we want you to pursue those things we want you to strive for more we want you to be your best person you can be um and so there's nothing that should stop you if that's you know like if that's where you want to be like yeah get your foot in the door I mean just, I think it's with any industry get your foot in the door and work your way to the top you know if that's mm -hmm. where you want to be you know I don't think you should ever put limits on yourself just because you're a female yeah uh listening to you say that made me think about something that I've definitely uh talked in length about before um 
I think that it is really important to, when you are looking for a job, remember that like you are a commodity that is valuable. And if you are at an interview and something feels weird, that's okay. You don't need to impress the people interviewing you. Like you are also interviewing them for the job that you want. And if they're not going to offer you benefits, if there's no room for growth in a way that you find that you want, if you, if the pay isn't going to change or it seems like there's some sort of weird environment or you don't see any other women, why aren't there other women here? Like you can ask those questions and if they don't like you, then don't work for them and that's yeah. okay. And I think when you're in smaller towns or in environments where that's, you need a job and that's what's um, available and those are the people that are hiring, obviously you don't have the privilege of maybe um, choosing to the same degree, but just remember that you are valuable and whether you are, I'm going to go on a side rant here. You're kind of asking about, um, uh, I just forgot what it's called. Syndrome. Um, imposter, syndrome. imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. Thing. Um, when I started brewing, I didn't know like literally anything. I didn't know anything about beer. I had like read books, but like I couldn't even homebrew properly. It was bad. And, um, definitely like a degree of fake it till you make it but like i that's okay and that doesn't mean that you are, aren't valuable like if you want to learn something and you don't know anything like connie said just go for it and if that's not the company that works then that's okay you'll find a spot and maybe it's something that isn't ideal initially but um i don't know just set your sights like she said go shoot for the stars and hopefully you will find an environment that works for you in a way that you can learn you know, do they have further education opportunities? If you want to learn and they want to hire you, they will give you access and they will help you do that. And um, it's important to just remember that you have that ability and you don't need to like belittle yourself or be in a situation that is terrible and toxic for you because of, you know, you need a job. Maybe you can get a part-time job working in a tap room and in the brewery. That's what I did when I started. So I, I think that like, just don't limit yourself and, yeah, like Connie said, shoot for the stars. Yeah, yeah, those are those are all great points. I really, really appreciate you bringing up the fact about you know when you're in an interview process, you're you're interviewing the company just as much as they are interviewing you. It's supposed mm -hmm. to be a good match cohesively, and you're gonna want to make sure that this is a place that you want to go to every day. You know, if it's a full time job, but this is how you spend your life. So how are are you going to make sure that it's a good fit and listening yeah. to those kind of gut feelings feel like something's not quite right. Um, so I, I really appreciate you, you bringing up that fact that, you know, you have something to bring to the table, you know, you're, you have value. So making sure that you're finding the right fit for you. Um, so those are, those are all great points to, to, to bring up and I appreciate your thoughts on that. So what can we all do? And I mean, from from beer drinkers to to hop suppliers to uh, to breweries, what can we all do to help create a more safe, equitable environment for women? You know, if if we're making it simple, um, if you see something that's inappropriate, say something. Um, don't make the person who is like a victim in this situation be the one that always has to stand up for themselves. I think that's a big thing. Um, if kind of like Connie said earlier, if there's someone who's working for the company who you know, stands out like a sore thumb because they don't fit culture, like address that. Um, and you know, this, this feels like a highlight reel, 
uh, going back to having people in the industry that are don't have an ego to the degree that they won't bring other people up with them. Um, I don't know. I just I feel like I've had the opportunity to to learn um, from the example of people who have been doing things the right way in a lot of ways. Um, and it's okay to give other people space to exist and learn. And you know, maybe you'll learn something from them. I don't know. Connie, yeah. Connie, any thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, same um, thoughts as Natalie, but I mean, as women in the industry, you know, uh, I bring people up with you, cheer each other on, share your thoughts, share your ideas. Um, you know, if there's, you know, there might be someone that that wants those things but doesn't know how to approach it. And I think, as, again, back to the communication thing, you know, um, talk about it and and um, share how where you've come from and where you've gone and, and what you've learned and I think that's 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 a a huge help to anyone that that's looking to break through any barriers um, and help kind of move things forward um, and absolutely if, if you feel like things aren't right or if something's going on yeah say something I mean that's that's how we're going to put this to rest is is um this is behavior isn't acceptable anymore when we feel like we're being um stifled or or felt like we're we're not um on the same level um because that's not mm-hmm. the case um and you know educate ourselves and teach women to uh, around us to be strong and stand up for what they want and um and yeah i mean strength in numbers you know um yeah yeah so. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, the point you, that was brought up about, uh, you know, if you, if you're seeing something that's, that's inappropriate, unacceptable, making sure that you're saying something. And I had someone, I had a, I had a guest bring this up and I really like this and this stuck out to me was that sometimes it can be hard to know what to say, but if you, if you prepare yourself in advance, like if I'm ever in a situation, if someone says something to my coworker or to my employee, or, you know, I'm a patron at, at a establishment and I see something happening. If I've already walked through that scenario of what, how I would react, it's way easier to, if you have already almost rehearsed this and practiced in your head, then to say, to then say something, then to kind of go off the cuff. So I always encourage kind of like walking through that scenario a little bit, because then you feel more prepared to, to kind of put yourself out there and say something. And, uh, and that also happens like having a conversation as a team too, of, you know, with your, with your employees of like, if, if you see something happening, here's, you know, here, you can contact me, you can contact this person, um, kind of walking them through so that they know exactly what to do. That communication piece that you talked about, that's so important. If you know what to do, you have all the steps aligned for you. It's way easier to be able to act quickly, um, and see if the situation can, can be resolved and, um, making sure that the person who is being treated, um, inappropriately or unacceptably, um, making sure that, you know, you have their back and can help them out in whatever way you can. Do you have any like language that, you know, um, that is, has been like good for you, like these things that you have rehearsed? Um, because I think that sometimes like what I have is, Hey, that was inappropriate. Or like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? And it doesn't necessarily have to be abrasive, but like, if you have anything that you have 
that have worked, I would love to hear it. I think to me, it's like, it's exactly kind of like that. It's like very simple. It's just like, that's, that's unacceptable. That's not welcome here is like kind of, Oh yeah. That's a one that I would go to like that. That behavior is not welcome here. That's not okay here. And it just kind of calls it out for exactly what it is without kind of going into language that doesn't feel like natural to like, if I'm at an establishment and I'm enjoying like a beverage and, um, I'm probably not going to have all of this, the best language, you know, at my fingertips immediately, but like, that's not cool here. That's not welcome here. That's not okay. Those are very simple things that I can go to, um, that I think make sure that it's aware that it's like not in front of me, not in front of, you know, my coworkers, not in front of my friends or whatever it is. It just makes sure that Mm -hmm. it's like, it definitely projects, like, I'm not going to stand by and and witness this and not address it. So those are ones that like, that's what I would go to for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So looking ahead 10 years from now, what do you envision for the craft beer community? What are some things that you would like to see in the future? I mean, if it means what we're talking, the subject we're talking about, if it means that we don't have to have these conversations anymore and we, we can stop having to feel like we have to prove ourselves, um, you know, um, that would be great, you know, um, I mean, we've made strides um, in the past years, but it, it's probably always going to be a work in progress. So, you know, that's my hope, I guess, is that um, the more, like I said, strength in numbers, you know, the more that we um, are here and show that we're, we deserve to be here um, and, um, you know, that we're, we're good at our jobs and we are there should just be no difference, you know. There shouldn't be even this conversation. It should just be that good at our jobs. Let's be talking about that. Let's be talking about how awesome we can do things and beer is delicious. And you know, like you feel like you just don't want to have these conversations about having to. We don't want to set ourselves apart. We should all just be a community that works together and supports each other. And that's that's the hope, I guess. Well said. I second that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that was, you know, I think, like you said, well said, um, that was, it's just like really great to dive into these different subjects with each of you and kind of get your, your different perspectives. Um, do you have any key takeaways, uh, for our listeners? What, what should I blab about now? Um, <laughs> <laughs> the floor is yours. <laughs> I think, you know, just to repeat a couple of things I said, it's okay if you don't know everything and it's okay if you need help. Um, there's a lot of people around and there's a lot of access points to help you. Um, obviously there's like a lot of privilege in the role that I have, that I'm in. Um, and I think that I've had a lot of things be like fairly easy for me and, um, which I feel very lucky about. And I understand that there's a lot of really hard, difficult things that people deal with, but um, you have people on your side and if you are smart and dedicated, there is a lot available for you. Um, I don't know. I mean, I was, I also feel like you feel like it was easy for you, but, and maybe it wouldn't be easy for someone else. It could just be that like you had that drive and you, you didn't see yourself as someone that should be different or set apart. You were like, I'm, I'm, I deserve this. I'm smart mm-hmm. enough. You know, like it could be part of why women end up in these 
positions is because we, you know what I mean? Like, you kind of just show up. Yeah. You're like, I'm here. Like, this is what I'm doing. So move out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. Kind of let my steam roll a little bit. Well, thank you, Natalie and Connie. Thank you both for joining me on the podcast, sharing your insights and experiences and kind of diving into all these different topics. It was really great to hear each of your different perspectives um, through your different experiences and backgrounds and your your current career path. So I really appreciate you coming on the show today. I thank you listeners for joining us. We have new episodes coming out on Fridays each week. Share the podcast with your friends, family, colleagues, or whoever you think would be interested in learning more about all the amazing women working in this industry. We all have a part to play in helping this industry grow as beer drinkers, hot producers, breweries, and everything in between. Together, let's create something bigger than beer. 